All right, everybody, good morning. How are we doing? Fantastic. My name is Frank. I'm one of the pastors. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, we've been in this series, and it's a series all about the Holy Spirit. And uh, we're in like week 300 or something. I don't know how. It's been a long time. And we started out looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And then we studied the Holy Spirit himself. And today we move towards the gifts of the Spirit. And it's important for us as believers to understand the difference because honestly, it seems like most people don't. I listen to people talk about the various fruits of the Spirit and gifts of the Spirit and they interchange them and they switch them. And it's important to understand that there's only one source of truth and it's God's Word. And so I tell everybody, look, don't listen to me. Go back and study God's Word. See what it says. Make sure it's right. And so today we're going to move towards what we call the gifts of the Spirit. Now, remember, the fruit of the Spirit was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, self-control. Remember all those who went through them week by week. The fruit of the Spirit comes to us naturally as the Spirit grows in us, okay? In other words, when we have the Holy Spirit, He begins to take over our lives, And the more we surrender, the more he takes over, the more we grow fruit, okay? So without trying, other than surrendering, we develop more love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness. Basically, the fruit of the Spirit is essentially, if God is in us, we have to start looking like God, right? And how do you tell if somebody is in Christ? Well, they better start looking like God. And in our own spiritual walk, if we've been walking with Christ for a long time and we're not seeing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness that comes from the throne of God in our life, then we have to ask ourselves two questions. Is the Spirit in us? And are we hindering the Spirit in some way? That's fruit of the Spirit. It's like it's just a natural expression of our relationship with God. But then at one point, Paul talks about gifts of the Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are essentially, well, gifts from the Spirit. I know it's complicated, right? They're gifts from the Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in us. He says, I'm going to give you a gift, and I'm going to give you a gift, and I'm going to give you a gift, and I'm going to give different gifts to different people for different purposes. They're not your gifts. They're not called gifts of Frank or gifts of Ed. They're gifts of the Spirit. Don't forget that. That means they come from the Spirit. That means they're given out by the Spirit. That means the Spirit determines who gets a gift, how long they have it, when they get it, and what purpose it's for. Okay? And the Holy Spirit is always going to advance the gospel, promote Jesus, and bring change in our lives. And so it's important to understand, notice that both the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, what role do we play? Zero. Once we believe in Christ and we're Spirit-led beings, the Holy Spirit grows His fruit in us, the Holy Spirit gives us gifts. Okay? If somebody comes to you and says, I can give you this gift, no, they can't. It's not from them. It's not their gift. They don't own it. God is not a puppy on a leash. If you get a gift of the Spirit, it comes from the Spirit. Okay? 
I can't pray with you to get more gifts. I can pray that you surrender more and the Spirit does whatever he wants in your life, but I can't really pray and specifically guarantee you're gonna give a gift of prophecy or of tongues or anything else because I don't own them. Not my gift, right? Not your gift. So the one thing I want us to know and it's really important is that we understand that in all of these issues, we are simply conduits. Passive, spirit-filled, spirit-led expressions of the Holy Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit, there are nine spiritual gifts that Paul lists. The utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, work of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, various kinds of tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. Okay, we can all start getting nervous now. We're gonna talk about this stuff. Each week, for the next few weeks, we're going through each one. I thought we'd start with the fun one. Today, we're gonna talk about tongues. I know, it's crazy. Today, God's people divide on the gifts as well. There's one thing consistent about God's people. We know how to divide. We know how to split. We know how to, how to take whatever difference we can find and split over it. We're good at it. There are generally two big camps when it comes to the spiritual gifts. One is called cessationism. The other is called continuationism. And no, I didn't make those up. We have cessationists and we have continuationists, okay? Either you believe the gifts ended in the first century with the apostles or you believe they exist today. That's basically the two splits. But that wasn't good enough for us. We found more ways to split. And just to complicate it, some people believe certain gifts stopped in the first century, but not all. And some of them still happen today, but not all of them. We're going to cover this later. But right now, I want you to understand that there are spiritual gifts. There are nine of them in general. Now, this is different than your gifting. Okay? Different than your gifting. We all have the ability to do things. Right? We have the ability to hit a golf ball. We have the ability to play music or sing or, or we lack the, whatever it is, we're all different creatures with different skill sets given to us by God at our birth, right? So we have these different skill sets. They come from God at our birth. They're not gifts of the spirit, okay? They're things that we can do, capabilities, things we can do. But today, I thought we'd start with a gift that is probably the most controversial and the one that everybody kind of freaks out about. And so let's jump right in and begin to talk about tongues. 1 Corinthians 12.1, Paul speaking. Now, continuing spiritual gifts, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Thank you, Paul. We don't want to be uninformed either. Now, Considering or concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, what does brothers mean? He's talking to believers, right? Brothers in Christ. No reason to talk to people who aren't in Christ about spiritual gifts. There are none, 
Okay? I, want you to, I don't want you to be uninformed. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians. Corinth was the church on steroids. Church gone wild. Followers of Jesus had been doing all kinds of crazy things in the name of Jesus that weren't in the name of Jesus. He says, look, I want to make sure that you're informed. I want you to know about spiritual gifts. Now, a lot of people say, why are we studying this? It's confusing, it's scary, it divides everybody, it freaks everybody. Why are we doing this? Because the Word says, I don't want you to be uninformed. Why? Because if you're uninformed about something of God, you're going to fall. I want you to know about spiritual gifts, he says. Now, it's interesting, Paul at this point was very focused on making sure the message of God was passed down to, from him to future generations. Okay? Throughout many of his letters, he teaches on spiritual gifts often. Paul talks about spiritual gifts a lot. In the early church, there's a lot of discussion about spiritual gifting. Now, many say that the spiritual gifts were only given to the apostles in the first century and ended with their lives, just like we talked about with baptism. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in A.D. 56, 26 years after Jesus had been at the cross, roughly, A.D. 56, halfway through the first century. By this time, many of the original apostles had died. Many of them were getting old. They began to write everything down because they thought Jesus was coming right back. Now they're 30, 30 years in, he's not back. We're getting ready to leave this place. We better start writing some stuff down. So all the apostles were focused on making sure the message got written down for future generations. And their teaching after about 45 AD clearly shows that they were concerned about getting the message to continue after they were gone. Paul knew his time was short. He would die probably in the next five years, roughly 60 AD in Rome. So to those who believe that all the gifts ceased at the end of the first century, I would ask you to consider why did Paul spend so much time teaching on them? If something was soon going to be obsolete, or if the gifts were for a select few, why teach on them? What's the purpose? We continue. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. One spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. That's essentially what I just said. You are gifted. You have spiritual gifts. You have spiritual fruit. It all comes from God. We're all gifted in different ways. It is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for common good. Doesn't say just the apostles, to each. Notice that it says this is the same God who empowers them in everyone. Doesn't sound exclusive here. Do you see the Trinity in this verse? Same Spirit, same Lord, same God. 
Variety of gifts, variety of service, variety of activities. Same God. Note that God empowers all the gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Spiritual gifts are given to you, but they're not about you. Spiritual gifts are given to you, but you don't own them. Spiritual gifts have little to do with you other than the fact that God is choosing to use you in the moment. Your gift is not evidence of your maturity. Your gift is not evidence of your maturity. God gives out gifts to everyone at all different times in their spiritual walk for the common good. We continue. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who proportions to each one individually as he wills. Notice, remember when we studied how to read Scripture and I said when things repeat, there's a reason? In this passage, look at the number of times it says, according to the same Spirit. Paul wants to make absolutely sure we understand. He's repeated it now five or six times. There's one Spirit that gives out gifts. Those gifts are given to each one, and the Spirit is the one who gives the gifts and decides which gifts different people will receive. This is really important to understand. It sounds really basic. But you'll go listen to the preacher say, I can, I can teach you how to pray in tongues. I can teach you how to speak in tongues. I can teach you how to be a prophet. No, you can't. The Spirit gives out gifts as he desires. Notice also in this passage, he gives to each one individually as he wills. Again, the person of the Holy Spirit we talked about six weeks ago. Gifts listed here, the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, healing, work of miracles, prophecy, distinguishing between the gifts, various kinds of tongues, interpretation of tongues. Note the repeat, as I said, all are empowered by one spirit, one God. He decides which gift, he decides how strong it is, he decides how long you manifest that gift. When it's given, we are simply vessels for God to use for his purposes. Earlier this spring, we studied the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let me remind you again, because these get mixed up. Fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, Paul says. All these develop as we develop roots. Remember, as we dig deep, these things grow in us. It's a natural byproduct of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's evidence that we love like Jesus loves. We have a peace like Jesus had. We, we, we have a kindness that didn't come from us. We care about people. We have compassion we didn't know we had about other people. It's, 
It's God's love from the throne being poured through us as we mature in Christ. The more we mature, the more the spiritual fruit grows. Spiritual fruit is a manifestation of our spiritual maturity. Spiritual gifting is not. Spiritual fruit is a manifestation of our maturity. Spiritual gifting is not. If we surrender to Jesus, we believe and trust in him to save us. At the moment of repentance, we go through the first baptism, we become spiritual beings. And as we surrender, as we pull weeds, as we develop deep roots, we begin to manifest fruit of the Spirit. But now, Paul is talking about gifts of the Spirit. So I hope I beat this into oblivion. There is a difference. These gifts have nothing to do with your maturity. They're not rewards. They aren't stamps of approval. They aren't validation of your salvation. You see, I think a lot of people want to speak in tongues because deep down they doubt whether or not they're saved and if they spoke in tongues, they would believe they must have the Spirit. These aren't rewards. They don't tell others of your spirituality. Fruit does. Gifts don't. Gifts of the Holy Spirit are given to every believer, even brand new baby believers. They can manifest profound spiritual gifts. The most immature person in your congregation may have the most profound spiritual gift for the church. The Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he will. Now we struggle with this, honestly, because we have a Western worldview. To us, everything's a hierarchy. We earn our way up through the ranks. The best gifts, the best rewards should go to those that earn them. Not so with the spiritual gifts. They have nothing to do with your maturity as a believer. They have to do with the fact that you're a believer, but you could come up out of the water of baptism and all of a sudden have a spiritual gift you didn't know you even could possibly have. You may not even know what it is. I know some very immature believers who remarkably manifest the gift of prophecy. They don't know even what they're doing, and it's really cool. It's like a really great inheritance. It's like all of a sudden they're like, whoa, how did that happen? You receive them not because of what you've done, but because you're in the family. I'll give you just a quick example. I wasn't going to throw this in. I'm going to do it anyway. When my wife came to Christ, she did so at about age, let's say 30s, okay? Didn't grow up in church, didn't know anything about it. She came home one day and she said, I believe Jesus is Lord. And I said, praise God, how do you believe that? You see, because I studied the Bible for like 50 million hours and I still had to come up eventually to it. I mean, you just, like that, you believe? Yeah. She had a gift of faith that was so strong the minute she was converted. It's been crazy to watch. So sometimes you get a very deep gift that you didn't even know you had. And other people look at you and go, how can you have? I mean, because I'm looking at this woman that I love and she's, she's got this incredible gift of faith, probably more than I have. And she still can't find half the books in the Bible. She's scared to pray in a small group. 
She literally barely knows how to find a scripture, and she's got faith like you wouldn't believe. It's a gift of faith. So we begin today looking at speaking in tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Now, these are very public, very obvious, very controversial gifts. And I want to talk about what the gifts are. In the next few weeks, we'll learn how they should be used. But right now, I just want us to get an idea of what the gifts are and how they're used to honor God. Speaking in tongues. We talked about this at the moment of Pentecost. Remember, the Holy Spirit fell. And the people there, it fell on the disciples, they received the Spirit, and they began speaking in tongues, the Bible says. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty work of God. This is not some unknown tongue. It is to the people talking, not to the people listening. Speaking in tongues, a known human language spoken for the purpose of advancing the gospel. You'll hear about this all the time for missionaries. I began praying, and I thought I was praying in English. It turns out I was praying in Swahili. It was the most incredible thing. They heard my prayer. Other people go on a mission trip. I took three years of high school Spanish. I couldn't speak Spanish to save my life. For some reason, for those five days, I was totally fluent. I know a woman in our church who went on a mission trip, did not speak Spanish at all, but was able to give her testimony in Spanish. Okay, speaking in a known tongue, not something you do know how to or can own, working through you for the purpose of advancing the gospel. Speaking in tongues. Now that's not complicated. Everybody goes, well, there has to be an interpreter. Well, often an interpreter is just somebody who that's their language, the target of the tongue. I'm speaking in tongues because there's somebody from wherever that won't understand a word I say if we don't have somebody that doesn't know I don't speak or they don't translate. These Galileans, these uneducated men, each of us here in our own native language, and they're speaking to us in our native language. They're telling of the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? What does this mean? Great question. What does this mean? People have been asking the same, century, same question for centuries. What does this mean? Speaking in tongues, what does it mean? So we, like the people that were at the temple that day, see the gift of tongues, and we're either drawn to understand them and investigate, or we're drawn to mock and dismiss them. Those were the two groups at the temple that day. It had never changed. The topic of speaking tongues and tongues has been one of the most controversial teachings in the Bible, one of the most mistaught teachings of the Bible, and confusion has been brought where I think the scriptures are actually pretty clear, and we're going to go through it. Not surprising that Satan seems to attack the gifts of the Spirit, 
Always. Always. Because if you're given a gift of the Spirit, you're going to advance the gospel. Right? And Satan's going to attack it. Satan works overtime to sow doubt and confusion and fear in the minds of believers concerning gifts. And I think anything that Satan opposes, we should pursue. It's a great way to live your life. Is Satan against this? I'm all for it. In fact, I think one of the greatest tragedies in church history is the way Satan has made this gift so controversial because it didn't need to be. We've been misled to use this topic to divide believers. And you're gonna hear me talk about this all the time. We are called to unity, not uniformity. Okay? We're called to unity, not uniformity. All we need to know about speaking in tongues is that it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. If God loved us enough to send his son, and he loves us enough to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves enough to give us a gift, why in the world would we be afraid of it? I mean, think about it, really. Many people are like, well, I hope there's not, I hope he's not gonna say that there's a speaking in tongues because then I might have to do that and I don't really wanna do that and so it'd be easier if we just dismiss this now. If God wants to give it to us, why in the world would we be afraid of it? You see, I think fear comes from lack of understanding. Once we begin to understand what once become fearful is now useful. Much of the confusion regarding tongues has to do with the theological misuse of the term. In Scripture, there's two types of tongues. The gift of tongues and the grace of tongues. Gift of tongues, grace of tongues. Grace of tongues, gift of tongues. Gift of tongues, grace of tongues. Two completely different things. Clear in scripture. The spiritual gift of tongues, gift of tongues, is the supernatural ability to speak in a known language in order to better witness to people in that language. Just like Pentecost. Spiritual gift of tongues is given out by the Holy Spirit to whom he wills as he desires for his purposes. Someone needs to be here about Jesus. There's a language barrier. The Holy Spirit empowers someone who does not know that language to speak it perfectly in order to tell the good news of Jesus, exactly like it happened at Pentecost. Spiritual gift of tongues is exactly what we saw at Pentecost, what we saw at Caesarea, what we saw at Ephesus. Just to recap, the spiritual gift of tongues is a known earthly language, a gift from the Spirit for witnessing, and you will receive power, and this is one of the power tools. Okay? It may and will likely be unknown to you. There's thousands of world languages, but it's not an unknown language. Paul says in this passage, can we go back to that slide? The one before? I think he says it. No? Okay. All right. Well, Paul says in this passage, various kinds of tongues. Ever see that before? There are various kinds of tongues. 
I really want to go back to that passage. Let's see, it's going to be, hold on, stand by. There it is. Uh, next slide, please. Okay, hold on. Hold that thought. All right, trust me, we'll find the scripture for you. Paul says in his writings, there are various kinds of tongues. Grace and gift. The gift of tongues, as we said, the interpretation of earthly tongues, public proclamation, earthly language, advances the gospel done in public aimed at the non-believer. Gifts of tongues, public tongues aimed at the non-believer. God is using a believer full of the spirit to speak a language to reach an unbeliever, right? That's pretty clear, right? Okay. The grace of tongues is a private prayer language. A language between you and God. Paul often encourages people to spend time privately praying in tongues. The grace of tongues is given to every believer. Let me make sure we understand that, okay? And we're gonna spend a few minutes going through why this is so. Listen to Paul as he contrasts the two. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. The tongue Paul is talking about here is not the one aimed at the non-believer. This is a tongue that you don't understand. It's a tongue that nobody else understands. It's a tongue that's not even for you or anybody on earth. The prayer tongue is the spirit inside of you speaking within the Trinity to the Father and Jesus. We're gonna go through this so we all understand what that means. It's spoken to God. It's a heavenly language. So imagine that if you have the Spirit of God in you, don't you think the Spirit, Holy Spirit's gonna to wanna to talk to the Father and to Jesus on your behalf or in general? There's a dialogue going on within spiritual beings in the spiritual realm. Jesus and the Father, it's the internal language of the Trinity, and it's for God's understanding only. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. That is clearly not the tongue we've been talking about. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. Why are they mysteries? Because you don't understand them either. The Holy Spirit is talking through you. What do we call speaking to God? Prayer. Paul is talking here about a prayer tongue. Literally, mysteries in the spirit. We're gonna study this more in a few weeks, but Paul tells him, look, the prayer tongue is not for public worship. It disrupts, it makes no sense to anybody and it turns away the unbeliever. You see, if I have a prayer tongue, and many people do, I think every one of us has a prayer tongue. If we're full of the Spirit, I believe the Spirit is talking. Now, whether we can tap into that frequency or not, that's a whole other story. 
But it's hard for me to believe that we have the Spirit of God into us and He's not speaking in the spiritual realm. So, in a public worship service, if I was to start rattling off a tongue, a prayer tongue, people would freak out. And there'd be nobody there to explain it. And the unbeliever would kind of panic, and that's in some of Paul's writings that we're going to look at. But the first thing I want you to understand is there are two different tongues in Scripture. The gift and what's called the grace. Paul tries to make it clear. Now, brothers, believers, I come speaking in tongues. How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? In other words, I could talk in tongues all day long. It's not going to help you. It's between me and God, and you know, neither of us have a clue. Focusing on this prayer gift is a waste of time in the public setting. So, with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anybody know what's said? For you'll be speaking into the air. He goes on. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of a language... I'll be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. Notice what he just said here. There are many different languages in the world and none of them are without meaning. In other words, every language on this planet has meaning to somebody. Does that make sense? But if I don't know the meaning of the language, I'll be a foreigner to the speaker. Paul tells them this private prayer language is between you and God. In a nutshell, here's what Paul teaches. The gift of tongues and the grace of praying in a tongue have very important roles to play in the life of a believer. But creating uninterrupted chaos at public worship services that completely freak out visitors isn't one of them. Right? Makes total sense. So let's unpack the prayer language a bit and look at the grace of tongues. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What? My spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. If I pray in a tongue, I ain't the one praying, my spirit prays. And my understanding, my mind, is unfruitful. What's he talking about? Well, at the risk of scaring some people about a previous service I did, I did 12 weeks on body, soul, and spirit and all the differences. We're going to just hit the highlights real quickly. We were originally designed in three parts. When God designed Adam and Eve, the first human, we had three parts. Spirit, soul, your mind, and body, okay? We experience life in our bodies. Our bodies send information to our minds. We ask questions, we interrogate, we question, we interpret, we think, we wonder. And then the way we were originally designed is we would then take all of our questions, all of our wonderings, all of our things and give them to the spirit and the spirit would tell us what's true and what to get rid of and what not to worry about. Right? So basically, we would send our thoughts to the Spirit for confirmation. 
or direction on what to do, and God's Spirit would guide us through this world. Perfect. We didn't have to figure anything out. We just asked the Spirit what was true and what we should do about it. It's a great way to live. God, you know everything. You created this whole place. You tell me what I should believe and think about. I'll just report to you my thoughts, my ideas, my feelings. You tell me how to handle those. Our soul becomes a processor, a reporter of information, not a decision maker. This is, the, this is, so, this is like the whole thing in a nutshell. We were never designed in our mind to be decision makers. We were designed to think, to interpret, and to report and allow the Spirit of God to be the decision maker. Okay, this is gonna make sense in a minute. We just shared what we thought with the Spirit and obeyed whatever the Spirit said. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They said, look, God, we don't need you to interpret for us. We can do it ourselves. We don't need you to explain the world to us. We can make our own decisions. We don't need you to tell us how everything was created, how it all fits together, why we're here, what purpose we have. We'll figure it out on our own, God. We don't need you because we're our own God. And when that happened, man denied the spirit. And unfortunately for us, we became spiritually decapitated. We began living our lives without the benefit of the Holy Spirit. Everybody born after Adam and Eve was born with this fallen state. The ability to interpret the world, to have thoughts and ideas, but not really to fully understand or know why those things happen or what we should do about it. And every one of us born in a fallen world felt the void. Something's missing. I don't understand. There's a bigger picture here I'm not getting. In other words, our mind is like, there should be a source of truth, and I don't know where it is. So we start looking. We try to be God ourselves, and that doesn't work very well because we weren't ever designed to make decisions. We're just designed to report, to think, to interpret. So every man has been born decapitated. We could no longer take our feelings and our ideas, ask questions. We were completely unequipped for being on this planet. That's why we screwed it up so bad. It's not surprising. The world without the Spirit of God doesn't know what to do. But for believers, the Spirit of God came back. And you're reborn. And the Spirit is now in the place where the Spirit's supposed to be. You are no longer the decision maker, you're the reporter. You're back into the role you were originally designed to have. You're now complete and you know it. If you don't understand something, you ask the Holy Spirit. If you need to know what to do, you ask the Holy Spirit. If you need to know how to use your resources or whether or not you should do certain things, you ask the Holy Spirit and you obey. Ask and obey, there's no other way. You ask, the Spirit tells you, you obey. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't have to understand everything. We will never understand everything. The idea that the human mind can comprehend what God has created is ridiculous. I love what Rick Warren said in his book, Passion Driven Life, the very first statement. Explaining the things of God to us is like explaining the internet to an ant. They can't understand it. We can't understand the things of God. He gives us enough to understand so we can walk in faith, 
but not so much that we think we know everything. But without the Spirit of God correcting us, showing us, redirecting us, we do think we know everything. And that's a fallen world. So once we have the Spirit in us, the Spirit's going to start praying. Paul says there's a way you can pray where your spirit prays, but your mind is unfruitful. Your mind is at rest. Your mind is not interpreting. Your mind is quiet. But the spirit in you is praying. It's called praying in the spirit. You'll read Paul sometimes say, well, I was praying in the spirit and this happened. Praying in the spirit is that moment when your mind is done, you shut it off, and all that's left is you and God in the silence. You're not trying to interpret. You're not trying to tell. You're spending time quietly in the presence of God, bypassing your mind. There's a way to pray, Paul says, praying in the Spirit that bypasses your mind. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Groaning's too deep for words. The utterances of the Spirit that aren't earthly languages. I don't know about you, but I've had moments in my life where I get to the end of my prayer and I'm done. I'm just done. What I'm praying for seems so big, so overwhelming. I just, I'm done. I can't do any. All I can do is get on my face and moan and groan and ask God to do what I can't do. And in those moments, the Spirit is interceding for us because we don't know what to do. It's too big. It's too important. It's too overwhelming. I can't handle this. My mind is going into overload. I'm shutting down. But my spirit keeps praying. Spirit prays for us. He intercedes for us with groanings, utterances, tongues too deep for words. And then Paul sums it up. He says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praises with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. The scriptures talk all the time about praying in the spirit and worshiping in the spirit. Allowing the spirit in you to do what he does. He worships Jesus. Think about it this way. Prior to surrendering to Jesus, you existed for the most part in the physical realm. Then you surrendered to Jesus and you're born again. The Spirit of God now lives inside of you. That Spirit wants to pray and worship. That Spirit wants to use your voice, your lungs, your body to worship. All Christ followers, all Christ followers, you, me, everybody, Paul says, should pray and worship in the Spirit. Normal experience for believers. We should pray and worship in the the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is in you, I bet you want him praying for you. Just thinking. And I bet you want him worshiping through you. You see, there's a point in your spiritual walk, that all-in point, where you're like, God, I don't care what happens. 
You wanna have me cry out in front of a congregation, make a fool of myself, that's fine. You wanna have me get down on my knees in front of the church and bawl like a baby, that's fine. You want me to stand up and tell a complete stranger how great you are, that's fine, I'm all in. Because my spirit can't be contained anymore. Just like I spent my whole life not seeking the spirit, now I have the spirit and I'm afraid to release him. Being all in means I'm all in. God, whatever you wanna do through me, anything, anywhere, anytime, any cost, you do it. It's living a spirit-filled, spirit-led life. It's supposed to be the norm, but it's not. So we have to understand the difference between the gift of tongues and the grace of tongues. Why? Because the gifts of the Holy Spirit are distributed as the Holy Spirit decides. He does not give the gift of tongues to every believer. Not every believer can have the gift of tongues. Not every believer can have every gift all the time. The gift of the Spirit is given to you and me. Suppose we had a visitor come in and they're from some dialect place in Europe. And all of a sudden, somebody started talking in that language. And we're all going, well, that's odd. And they're like, no, I get it. Thank you. Praise God, I'm all in. That's the gift of tongues. However, and this is critical, I believe he's given the grace of tongues to everybody. We may or may not ever experience it, but it's there. You, you will never convince me that the Spirit of God is in you and he's not talking. Call it a prayer language. I don't think you should call it speaking in tongues. I think it's a prayer language. But if the Spirit's in you, I guarantee you, the scriptures say he's uttering on your behalf. When you don't know what to pray, he's praying. So I believe every believer has the spiritual grace of tongues. Okay, you may never experience it. You may never decide to pursue it. You may never listen. You may know, it's up to you. But the Spirit in you is speaking even right now to the Father. When you worship, the spirit in you is worshiping too, not just your mind. The moment we're baptized with the Holy Spirit, we're graced with a heavenly prayer language. Our spirit praying and worshiping through us, we possess it regardless of whether we realize it or not. I believe Paul was clear. Praying and worshiping in the spirit through tongues is available to those who are open to it. Please hear this. I'm not saying you can learn to speak in tongues in a prayer language. I'm not saying that you can decide to start praying in tongues. I'm not saying that somebody can teach you how to pray in tongues, they can't. What I'm saying is inside of you there is a prayer going on already that's not of you. That's between the Spirit of God and the Father, between the Spirit of God and Jesus. And what I believe is that just like you have a radio dial, you can dial into a frequency. When you surrender enough, you get your mind shut down enough, you can begin to touch and connect with that spiritual gift, that language. That make sense? It didn't come from you. You don't control it, you don't own it. You may never be able to tap into it. You may, it may be gone, but it's going on whether you hear it or not. Right now, okay, just in this room, 
There are radio waves, TV waves. There are thousands of channels going right over your head right now. There are thousands of radio stations right now that you can't hear because you don't have a receiver. Doesn't mean they're not there. You don't control them, you don't own them. But there's a radio station, if you could plug into it, you could hear it. The Spirit of God is like that, sort of. There's a language going on, there's a connection going on, there's praying in the Spirit, all those kind of things. And you have the ability not to do it, but to tap into it. The grace of tongues, the Holy Spirit praying through you. The original desire of the Holy Spirit is that the ability to deliver and encouraging messages in tongues and the ability to pray in the Spirit. So allowing the Spirit to pray through you would be a wonderful blessing to every individual and the body of Christ. The gift of tongues encourages the church, particularly the unbelieving church, right? When I have the gift of tongues, I'm speaking in a language they understand, I'm advancing the gospel, it benefits the global church. The grace of tongues strengthens the individual. The grace of tongues has nothing to do with the congregation. It's between you and God. As you begin to surrender more of your mind, you begin to experience more of the Spirit. Let me just put it a different way. Most of us, as soon as we start praying for something, Satan uses our mind to shut down our faith. God would never do that. He might do it for somebody else. He's not gonna do it for you. You see, you're not good enough. You're not clean enough. You're not perfect enough. He saw what you did yesterday. There's no way that's gonna work, right? And so as long as your mind is a tool of Satan to prevent you from praying, the Spirit's gonna keep praying, but your mind is gonna shut down your prayer, your prayer, right? So when we talk about praying in the spirit, what we're really talking about is killing your mind, shutting your mind down, learning to set aside. Paul says, you know, don't think about these things, think about the heavenly things. That's, that's learning to set aside what your mind is doing. It's taming the flesh mind that you have that still wants to be in control. Now here's what happens. When something horrific happens to you, and you know that you don't have the ability to do anything, your mind shuts down, right? I mean, you can't think of anything to do, you're just done. And in those moments are some of the most intimate moments you have with the Father, because you're in the Spirit. Your mind can't control anything, you know you're done. Whatever's in front of you is so overwhelming, you can't deal with it. So you begin to shut your mind down. And in those moments, the Spirit's available to pray and continue to pray without interference. Does that make sense? So it's not something to be afraid of. Both, and don't miss this, would be available to the immature believer who's received the Holy Spirit. The spiritual gifts, the spiritual grace should never be a source of pride for us. Never. They're never some stamp of our maturity. If the Spirit's in you and you've been a believer for 10 minutes, he can pray through you. He can worship through you. In fact, he usually does until your mind tells him to stop. You ever watch people come up out of the water of baptism? 
We're gonna see it here in a few weeks. They come up out of the water, and they're all excited, they freak out, and then something in their mind goes, don't do that. Don't do that, people are watching. Be cool, just be cool, be chill. Act like you meant to do this. You begin to wanna worship, and you're, no, 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 Natalie worships, we watch. That's not how it works. It's never how it works. We have to understand that there is a spirit in us that wants to be unleashed. Friendship with the Holy Spirit's not hard. Speaking in tongues is not a prize. Or the only acceptable truth of that relationship. I want to encourage you to be open to the possibility of praying in the Spirit. Be open to the idea that the Holy Spirit, if you're open to it, wants to take you and I to a deeper place in our prayer time. I want to encourage you to not box in what God may want to do. Don't let Satan's attempt at confusing us on this topic succeed. I believe everyone who has the Holy Spirit in them has the opportunity to surrender and let the Holy Spirit pray and worship through you. It's an incredible experience. You're worshiping God and you're like, where is this coming from? You'll not understand it. It's not a mind thing. It's a spirit thing. Don't try to intellectualize it. Don't try to figure it out. Don't try to write down all the reasons it can and can't happen. Just experience what it means to be in the spirit. Let me share with you another reason why I believe the grace of tongues is available to every believer. Many people are familiar with the passage in Ephesians 5 about the armor of God, right? Every believer is told to take on the armor of God, to protect ourselves from the evil one, that we, when we surrendered to Christ, are in a battle, a spiritual war, and we need to be ready and dressed, right? We were talking the other day about how Christian hymns have changed. And we were talking in the men's group this week about a, a hymn called Onward Christian Soldier and how that idea of fighting for Jesus sort of just kind of faded and became culturally ill. I don't know what happened to it. But this idea that we need to put on the armor of God, let me read it to you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. In other words, don't leave any of these out. Don't go partially dressed into battle. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fasted on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit. Whoa, I never saw that before. Part of the armor of God is praying in the spirit. Part of the armor of God that every one of us is to put on every day is to pray in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The armor of God is available to every believer fighting in the spiritual realm and includes the weapon of praying in the spirit. And we're instructed to take up the whole armor of God. We need to be built up for the God-sized task we've been given. Jude says it this way, but you beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We are told in multiple scriptures to pray in the Spirit. We breeze through it because we say, oh, I always pray in the Spirit. No, you probably don't. You pray in your mind like every other human on the planet. We think of something, there may or may not be a God, I'm gonna pray my thoughts. Build yourself up praying in the Holy Spirit. So let me challenge you to reflect on this question and I'll close. If the grace of tongues is from the Holy Spirit, and if the Bible says praying in tongues builds us up, builds me up, why would I not want that? God, have I received everything from the Holy Spirit that you want to give me? Do I have all the power that you want to give to me? Am I as full as you desire? Am I open to speaking in tongues? Am I open to praying in tongues? Am I open to interpreting tongues? Am I humbly ready to receive or am I pridefully trying to take? Let's pray. God, I thank you that your word is clear, but we sometimes struggle understanding. God, I believe there's a lot of us in this room that are like, wow, never thought about praying in tongues before. And yet, God, you say it's part of your armor, that it brings us power. And really, we've known it all along. If we can shut down our mind, we can connect with you. We say it all the time. We just don't call it praying in the Spirit. So God, I pray for our church that you would just release your Spirit within us to do as you desire. To allow spiritual things to happen among spiritual beings to help us to live in the spirit the way we were designed to live and to seek all the experiences that you have for us regardless. God, I pray for the day when we are all in. Anything, anywhere, anytime, any cost. We thank you for the spirit and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.